I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a story of guilt and innocence after a San Francisco murder. Much has been written in recent years about the danger of wrongful convictions. And around the country, attorneys and advocates have started innocence projects to find the victims of the phenomenon. But what happened in a San Francisco courtroom on Monday was extraordinary. And my guest today, Chronicle reporter Joshua Sharp, was there. A judge overturned the murder conviction of Joaquin Syria, who more than 30 years ago was fingered as the gunman who killed Felix Carlos Bastarica in a cold-blooded attack in the city's South of Market neighborhood. Syria is the first person exonerated by San Francisco's Innocence Commission, led by District Attorney Chesa Boudin. It comes as conviction review units nationwide have struggled to show results. So, what went wrong in this case, and what does this breakthrough mean? These are questions I have for Joshua Sharp, whose previous reporting at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution helped free a Georgia man after 20 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Josh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Josh, let's go back to March 25th, 1990, outside the Bay Bridge Hotel in San Francisco's South of Market. What happened? What happened on that night, it was a Sunday night, 1990, and this man, Felix Carlos Pastarica, is walking down Clara Alley in Soma. Then a white Monte Carlo pulls up next to him, and a man in a long, dark trench coat gets out, and, uh, and, and an argument ensues, and then all of a sudden there are gunshots. Carlos Pastarica tries to run, but is shot again and falls in the street. So in the early hours of that investigation, how did police investigate it? Did they have a motive? Did they have a suspect? So early on, the police believed that this was tied to a different murder that had happened the night earlier and involved some people who knew each other. They were, they were thinking that these two murders could be somehow related at first because the, some of the players were the same that they were hearing about on the street. There were also two eyewitnesses that they spoke to. These people, though, had a difficult time of saying who the killer was because they were far away. They were also complete strangers. And this was at nine o'clock at night, so it was pretty dark in the alley at that time. And was there anything in particular about that neighborhood that, that went to what happened in the killing? So the police believed that this was tied up in the local community of uh, Cuban refugees. There were a number of refugees who had come over in 1980 as part of the uh, Muriel boat lift, um, which was a, a, a phenomenon that happened during a crisis in Cuba. And President Carter said they could have asylum if they were to come over. And 125,000 people traveled to Florida. So, Josh, you write that they land on Syria as their suspect. How did they do that? So they land on Syria as their suspect, according to the district attorney's office now, because of a rumor that was going around that Joaquin Syria had done it. The district attorney's office tragically now believes that that rumor may have been started by the real killer, who they do not believe is Joaquin Syria anymore. And do they have a killer in mind? They do have a killer in mind. Okay, I know you're not naming that person. That person <laughs> has not been charged. Was there evidence, though, way back then that Syria was innocent? There, there was evidence. So his common-law wife, Johanna Pice, uh, and their very close family friend, Marina Flores, they maintained back then to the police that uh, Syria had been at home when, when this murder happened at 9 o'clock. He had been out earlier that night, 
with this man named George Farella, who was an 18-year-old whose mother Syria had previously dated. I spoke with Syria's former common-law wife, who, who tells me that that night the phone rang while they were at home, and it was George Varela, and he was asking Syria to go out. Now, the next day would have been one month since Syria's son Pedro was born. So because of that, he did not want to go out, but George talked him into it. And he went out for a few hours. They went to an arcade. They went to a bar called Gallon's Bar. And at that bar, a man who is drunk confronts Syria. And they get into a fight. And the reason why this becomes important is because the eyewitnesses said that the killer had a short afro. Now, at other times, perhaps Mr. Syria did. But that night, he had a jerry curl. And part of the evidence that he did indeed have a jerry curl that night was this man who he got into a fight with at the bar later told investigators that when they got into a fight, the grease got on his shirt from the jerry curl. So a lot of this ends up coming out at trial. What happened? So that came out at trial. But for whatever reason, and he says he does not remember what the reason was, Mr. Syria, Mr. Syria's defense attorney did not call the two alibi witnesses. So the jury did not hear from his common-law wife or their very close friend saying that, you know, he was here. They have this very detailed story of what happened that night. They told it to the police. But for whatever reason, the defense attorney decided not to call them at trial. So, Josh, ultimately what happens at trial? Ultimately what happened is Mr. Syria was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 30 years to life. And does Syria ever admit it? Syria never, never says that he did this. He, he's maintained his innocence from the very, very beginning. As a matter of fact, when he found out that there was a rumor going around that, that the investigators were looking for him because there was a rumor that he did it, he goes and turns himself into the police to talk to them. So Joaquin Syria is to spend the rest of his life in state prison for murder. Josh, what changed? What changed was a man named Roberto Socorro who was a friend of Syria's family, as well as a friend of the victim in this case, came forward many years later to say that he had held a terrible secret. And the secret was, a night before this murder happened, he had been involved in a different murder. He had shot and killed a man who he got into an argument with, and he then goes into hiding. Where does he go? The Bay Bridge Hotel. And he says that night he heard arguing in the alley. He says that he knew who it was, that it was Mr. Pastarica and this other man, he said he knew it was them because he peeked out of his window and saw both of them. They were both men he knew well. He also knew their voices because he knew them well. And he also knew that recently they had been into a pretty serious argument back and forth over a 44 caliber handgun, which incidentally is the same kind of handgun that was used in the murder. Now, Mr. Socorro says that though he knew that night who did it, and though he knew weeks later when he found out that Mr. Syria was falsely accused, he did not come forward. And the reason he didn't come forward is, one, he was a drug dealer. And because of that, he didn't believe in cooperating with police. The other reason is that he said he made a solemn vow to himself and to his dead friend that he would find the killer, a man he knew, and he would take his revenge. All right. Let's take a quick break on fifth admission when we come back. More about the wrongful conviction of Joaquin Syria with Joshua Sharp. We'll be right back. You're listening to Fifth Admission. 
You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Joshua Sharp, San Francisco Chronicle reporter. We are talking about the wrongful conviction of Joaquin Syria more than 30 years ago. Josh, you were in court on Monday. Mr. Syria was in court. What happened? So what happened in court was Mr. Syria was in for a decision that he's been waiting on for 32 years. A judge was going to rule whether or not he had been wrongfully convicted. And there was a big crowd there. Um, This involved the district attorney's office Innocence Commission. So there were members of that there. There were members of the family. Uh, Mr. Syria's common law wife, uh, who was also the mother of his son, Pedro, was there. 32 years after she'd been saying he was at home, he was at home. And also their former roommate was there. And she had also been saying this for all that time. And when the judge finally spoke to give his decision, he explained that he found Mr. Socorro's story about keeping his secret for all of these years compelling. But he said that he would not say that Mr. Syria was simply innocent. Instead, he said that this new information if the jury were to have it today, it more than likely would have changed the outcome of the trial. Okay, so the conviction is overturned. Chase Boudin, the district attorney, could retry the case, will he? No. Very quickly, the district attorneys represented this in court said that they would not retry the case. What is the San Francisco Innocence Commission? So the San Francisco Innocence Commission is this panel of legal experts that have varying uh, types of experience. One of them is a law professor, one of them is a former judge, one of them is a former investigator, uh, these these type of folks. One of them also was Linda Starr, who was the head of the Innocence Project of Northern California, though she recused herself from this case because they represented Mr. Syria. What makes this commission a bit different than the arm that many district attorney's offices have to look into potential wrongful convictions is that it's meant to be more independent than normal. What many district attorney's offices have is called a conviction review or conviction integrity unit. And this is a unit that is embedded within the office. And because of this, critics say that this can lead to conflicts of interest. With, you know, They're trying to investigate their own office's prior failures in many cases. So that can run into conflicts of interest. Because of that and, and other concerns, the district attorney wanted to have a separate entity that could be more off to itself. So the way this works is the district attorney's office passed a series of cases to the Innocence Commission when it was first getting started in late 2020, asking if they were interested in any of the cases. They were interested in Mr. Sirius' case and decided it, it would be the first one that they would hear. And what this means is they start amassing all these documents. They've got to get the original police investigation from San Francisco PD. They've got to get the original district attorney's files from the DA's office. They've got to interview witnesses. They interview Mr. Sikora. They interview the, the alibi witnesses. And then they deliberate. And finally, they come to vote. And it is unanimous in this case that they do not think that Mr. Syria should have been convicted. They then recommend to Chesa Boudin that he join in the motion to overturn Mr. Syria's conviction. He completed the review and decided to do that. But this is the first case that's been overturned, and you write that innocence commissions have struggled around the Bay Area and beyond to come up with cases that are wrongful. 
They have. And, you know, there's so many different factors in this, but it is very, very difficult to overturn one of these cases. Uh, to, to overturn any conviction, it is very difficult. It takes much longer to overturn a conviction than to, to obtain one. They have to go through so many different documents. They have to find people whose memories may have faded, who, who may have passed away. Uh, they Many of these conviction integrity units actually don't have full-time staff either, which is another issue, and they don't have funding. Many prosecutors have even been accused of running what some call a CRINO, a conviction review unit in name only. And the idea behind this is that this has become a fad, that district attorney's offices want to have some sort of arm looking at wrongful convictions, but if they don't produce results, you know, the people aren't going to follow along with it. But this was a promise that Chase and Boudin made. It's part of his platform, right? Boudin talks about how these wrongful convictions can harm the integrity of the entire system and the public's trust in the entire system and says that we have to find ways to rectify them to keep that public trust up and also, you know, help people who've been terribly wronged. Josh, I know you've spent a good part of your career focused on wrongful convictions. Why has that been an important issue for you? So the reason it's important to me is I understand that there are many, many people who go through the criminal justice system. Many of them might not be treated fairly. Many of them, however, might just be completely mistreated because they didn't do it. And I just can hardly think of many things worse than being sentenced to prison, which is always a horrible place, whether you, whether, you, know, you can committed the crime or not. But especially if you did not commit the crime, it just really seems beyond the pale to, to, be, to be stuck in that kind of situation when you didn't do it. What's next for Joaquin Syria and his family? So he has some plans. He, uh, he has uh, been married a few years ago. He was married and his wife lives in Texas. He plans to live with her. He does have a son here in Daly City. Uh, they are very close and they, um, they plan to make up for lost time. Pedro was six weeks old when his father was arrested and he has not been home since then. The father has an idea. Um, he says that he wants them to get an 18-wheeler and become truckers, and then they'll travel the country together. Sounds wonderful. Absolutely. After all that time, they, they have a lot to make up for, for sure. Joshua Sharp, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks to my guest today on Fifth and Mission, Chronicle reporter Joshua Sharp, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 